C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Drive, and my co-host, the Luke Rockhold Chin to my Polo Costa right hand, Nicholas something or other Braccia. How do you do, my friend? Whatever. I'm not talking to you. Nicholas John Braccia. I got I got it. I got it, man. No, that's not why. I'm not talking to you because you're a jerk. Is it is it because I am smoking you at this point by twenty points? Yeah, it's pretty bad. In our draft pretty competition. Pretty bad. That's that's definitely part of it. I didn't like you before that, but it's gotten way worse. So th- this is just added to it. So it's not necessarily that I'm any more like any less kind. It's just that I am beating you in this competition that we've been well you're just like i do all the research you guess and and judges go one way you know strange no contests happen weird stuff and it's by virtue of 20 oddball technicalities when we should clearly be neck and neck obviously be tied you pulled ahead <laughs> pulled ahead with this 20 point lead just based on in but on incremental nonsense because there is a conspiracy against me the same conspiracy that keeps the ufc fighters underpaid it's probably the same conspiracy that rigged the last election tell me more i'm, I'm curious to hear about this <laughs> no man i'm i got a bunch of my followers doing doing research doing their own research good they, they're gonna they let, definitely they're gonna do, let you know they should look into voting machines and and, and i don't know uh, bookies and, and the such nicola escort eight points in the last one you scored two and a half points. You only got two. Uh, you only picked two winners. Nikolai, I got a three-point underdog pick on my girl, Angela Hill. I got a two-point underdog pick on my girl, Nini Nunez, which I think you disagreed with, right? Because uh, we've spoken about that matchup a couple times. No, I changed. I changed my pick the second time you, it got made. Well, and no, I did I'm agree glad. with you on Angela Hill. I just didn't pick her. You you, you, you did, Nikolai. And, and Nate Landwehr, Nikolai. I was going to take Lane, Nate Landwehr. I told you I was going to take that, man. I told you there was serious uh, serious props on him because we've seen David Onama lose to such an opponent before, to just a swarmer who's not necessarily elite. And, uh, you know, I was concerned because Onama has a lot of power, and he hurt him early, and it looked pretty bad for a little bit but there. But Nate Landwehr's a fucking dog, dude. That man will never stop. He will never give up. If consciousness is still, like, within him, anybody's in trouble later in a fight unless you have insane cardio on top of being way better than him. It's, he's unbelievable. Also... Fucking character, like the guy's insane, and I, and I'm kind of I'm, I'm buying into this guy. I didn't like him so much when I uh, saw him talking all that shit on the Russian scene. I was like, who is this hillbilly making us Americans look bad? But but now I'm now I'm I'm sold. He's my guy. Let's go. He's a fighter in the Dave in the Dana White you know sense. Yes, I mean look in, in many senses that man is a fighter. He's a, he's an absolute monster. Look, a solid event behind us, and it was a beautiful thing. And that main event was. It gave it gave us it gave us so much in my absolutely, absolutely. In my perspective. It was such a fight. So enormous respect for both you know for both guys. That's how you want to see a legendary fighter, a guy who's fifteen years into his game, um, go out. You know, kind of go out on a shield. Never stop trying to win that fight. Um, got knocked down three times, sprung back up, and brought it like. You know, never stopped trying to win. Right is one thing, but he like never he was winning, to, dude. He was like, do, I mean, if you don't count the knockdowns, a, which a lot I mean, of people are Well, that's the thing. I don't know how how those. I actually didn't see cards, so I don't know what the score was going into the fourth. I assume it was two to one or maybe three nothing Cruz, but I don't know. Let's see. Let me look that up. Yeah, it looks like uh, first two rounds for Cruz, last round for Vera makes perfect sense to me. 
Um, although, again, like, he did not cruise down, I think, in that first round, but that's almost all that he did yeah. that round, right? And Cruz was, like, right back to it, landing combos immediately after. So, look, I, I see the argument for not uh, not giving him that first round because he did almost nothing else. That third round, like, I think Ray Longo was somebody who thought that it was 3-zip. That third round was Vera's, and fourth round was going to be Vera's if he defeat him finish. And I, and I tend to think, I mean, again, it's not, it's not like it looked like um, it's not like it looked like uh, Cruz was falling behind per se. He was just getting hurt, right? And and we're seeing that there's a difference between like being extremely conditioned, having having the ability to recover quickly, and just having a great chin and not getting buzzed to begin with. Like there was a difference there. And Cruz went from not being buzzed forever throughout his WC and UFC career well, to now being buzzed be, in every one of his last uh, several fights. But to be fair, Stan, I don't know if he would have been buzzed early in his career or not because he wasn't really there to get hit. Well, that's the he thing. Was, he, he was, he's, he's tricky to he hit. He wasn't anyway, there but, to get a hit. And one, let me finish. And bantamweights were smaller. Yeah, that, that's because he used to be. You're right. He used to be a huge bantamweight. That's a factor. But also, his durability was better. And you're right that like the level of the rest of the division was was a couple steps behind him, and that's definitely a factor. Not a lot of guys had power. Um, to your point about size, I, I think those are definitely factors too. But at the end of the day, like we would have seen him get knocked down once or twice. I think, I think there's one knockdown credited against uh, Cruz, maybe against Uriah Faber, if I'm not mistaken. And, like, I think it was one of Uriah Faber's overhand rights from back in the day. But I'm pretty sure that was, like, a like it took me off balance kind of shot rather than an actual knock me down or drop. Yeah, that was, that, was in their, that was in their rematch. Um, but and and anyway, you put it, the man is 37, TJ. 38 years old. He's 37 30, years yeah. old, and he's got knocked down a bunch of times, even in wins. Yeah, he's gotten. I mean, he's got gotten knocked down more in his last, you know, five fights than his entire career before that by yep. a long shot. He got knocked down anyway. seven times in his last five fights, uh, as as you kind of pointed to. Outside of that, let me see. And he knocked down. It's not a single knockdown on either side, right? The guy doesn't have much power. He does have a knockdown against Cruz to, uh, to, against Uriah Faber, the fight before Cody Garbrandt. But man, like there is something to turning 37 years old with all of that baggage behind you. For some folks at 37 years old, right, you barely took any damage, you're 10 and 0 or something. You know, you, you might still have that durability if your genetics are decent, but man, the guy's taking a lot of punishment. His body's been beat up in so many ways. And the fact that he's recovering as well as he is is amazing. Like, I, I think like saying that he has a bad chin is crazy because it was a, a nasty, clean head kick that knocked him out not down badly. And then he well, still the other shots were hard his way too. back to this week. And as we said on the show, as I've been saying for months, when Cheeto Vera hits you, it hurts. He's one of these guys who just does damage. He doesn't touch you to touch you. Yep. He he throws strikes to hurt you. He times them to hurt you. And yep. he fucking hurts guys. Yep. And with Cruz, it's that same thing that I was referring to. To be honest, he has made advancements in his game. He's become more of a swarmer, believe it or not. Like, a little more aggressive. It looks like he's trying to knock people out now. Um, he's throwing so much offense per, per minute. But... He's still doing his lean out of the way of shots and ducking under into Henry Cejudo's knee was the last time he got finished. And now he got finished again because he leaned so far out of range for a, a southpaw jab. Like, you don't have to fucking lean your head four feet over to your right to avoid a, a, a right jab, man. Like, a slight slip will do the trick with a slip will do the trick with your hands high. I don't know why he feels like he has to lean so far out and then his feet kind of catch up and, 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 and uh, as he kind of circles his way out of that position. It's just extremely risky. You're leaning into a potential head kick, and that's exactly what Vera was prepared for. Vera was like switching stances, right, so that his outside leg would be ready to fire whichever way Cruz goes. It wasn't working so well on the leg kicks. I don't know if it's that Vera wasn't feeling like they would land given Cruz's footwork or, or that he wasn't throwing them, but like the leg kicks would have been a big key, and that would have made a difference, slowed Cruz down even sooner. 
Um, I feel like there were barely any effective leg kicks landed by Vera, whereas Cruz actually landed a couple, surprisingly. Cruz was able to land a couple takedowns. We're seeing openings in Vera's game. It's just he's so fucking dangerous. He's so hard to hurt or deter. His conditioning is fantastic. His mindset is impeccable, right? His his power is such a big difference maker. And again, in these really close matchups, I'm going to tend to go for the more dangerous man. And, and, and uh, again, I, 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 that was a close matchup on paper, the more dangerous man came through against the 37-year-old Chita Vera. I think he's only 30 years old, so I'm crazy like that, even though he looks like he's uh, 35. Nick, uh-huh. that's that's the case. That's insanity, Nick. So we got to get into UFC 278 because that is what the listeners, I would imagine, are here for, Nikolai. And look, is this a great card? No. Is it a decent card? Yes. For a pay-per-view, probably one of the weaker offerings by the UFC in a little bit, if you ask me. Like, If you look at the main card, we have Harry Hunsucker on the, on the main card of this pay-per-view. What in the fuck is he doing there? And, and like a complete squash match against Tyson Pedro, um, who, you know, is a prospect who may or may not pan out, right? Like like Lucy Pudilova or Yanin Wu, according to this listing on Tapology, is, is on the main card. What the fuck is going on over here, man? Uh, but I think part of it is ESPN kind of thinking, let's put a couple of these good fights toward the end of the um, prelims so that people would be more enticed to buy the pay-per-view. And then we, we can give him a couple of, you know, we can give him a quick finish with Tyson Pedro um, and, and you know, a, a potential firefight with Wu and Pudilova, I guess, on the pay-per-view before before the, the kind of stakes escalate again in those last three fights between Aldo, Devashvili, uh, Rockhold, Costa, and, of course, Usman and Edwards, Nikolai. Let's get into this. I believe I have the first pick this week. And my first pick is going to be the biggest favorite on the card, not because I believe that he's untouchable or, or not beatable. We've seen him get beat. We've seen him get tired. We've seen him get finished, quite frankly, right? But Harry Hunsucker is a jobber, man. As much as he's a heavyweight and he could land a shot and Tyson Pedro could potentially get affected by it, you know, he's there to get smoked. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do. Um, he lost on Contender Series in the first round. He lost on uh, in the UFC twice in the first round. Granted, pretty good competition, right? Tied to Boston in the UFC, Justin Toffler in the UFC, um, and then Jared Vandera on Contender Series. He's getting smoked, though, man. And the people that he's beating are pretty, pretty mediocre. 2 and 5, 1-0, 0-0, 0-0, 1-9, 0-2. 15-17 was his best opponent. Uh, or one of his uh, one, one of the best records of his opponents prior to uh, getting onto the contender series. So I I, I don't I don't see Harry Hunsucker having much of a shot. I think his manager should be shot because this is just not kind. And uh, and, and I expect that he's probably going to be leaving the UFC after after he gets pieced up with Tyson Pedro, who is probably going to win this in the first round. That's how Harry Hunsucker loses. He can submit him. He can knock him out. He can knock him down and then submit him. So many options, so many availabilities. I think Tyson Pedro uh, rolls here. Yeah, I'm uh, going to disagree with you on the pick. You are lying. I'm not, <laughs> even, not even very well. <laughs> No, uh, but I am for my first pick going to go to what I see as a blowout fight between Jose Aldo and Marab Dib- No, I'm just kidding. I'm not picking that either. <laughs> for my first pick. I was, surprised. I, was gonna... I was shocked for a second that you thought I'd sell that as a blowout. No, no, no. I'm going to go to a, a fight that should be nearly as easy to pick as the one you just did, um, which is a, a woman I still consider a very viable uh, and well-rounded flyweight prospect in Miranda Maverick. Uh, to take on Syndicate's Shanna Young, uh, who aside from her victory over uh, Gina Mazzani, hasn't won, um, I don't think, in the UFC, and doesn't have many impressive scalps, aside from, you know, she did beat Maverick in an exhibition fight um, three years ago, 
But I think that who I think that who Miranda Maverick is since then has wait Shayna um, Young beat Miranda Maverick. This is their this is a rematch. Yeah. Jeez, Louise Nikolai, that is fascinating. I would have that. I'm shit glad. Uh, I'm glad you did your research. Well, you're you're anyway. doing your research live as you look at that. What do you Some mean? That's not. That safe. is not. That is not true. <laughs> uh huh. Go on. <laughs> I wa- I watched. I watched. I got tape imported. I had to get it off eBay of the original fight. I got tape. And um, I, yeah, I just think that I think Maverick is extremely well rounded, and that I I don't really think that Shannon Young has shown that she's. Uh, to date, um, has shown that she's a UFC level uh, competitor. So we'll we'll see. But I think that Miranda Maverick should have uh, should definitely should have the edge on the strikes. I'm also not very um, inspired by like lately Syndicate, which seemed on fire for a little bit when you know when Roxy was on a, a tiny bit of a roll and surprising people, and when Joanne Calderwood was on a little bit of a roll. Um, they seem like with with the with female UFC fighters that Syndicate had something going on. I'm pretty sure that Shannon Young is still over there, um, and yeah, I just don't know. I don't know um, that Jim just. I don't think that Jim has a lot of W's coming out of it lately at this level. Well, I think there's a lot of new fighters cycling through there, and some of them are having success. I'm seeing Sean Wood on the kind of winner side occasionally, whereas I wouldn't have necessarily expected that those fighters have trained with him. There were a couple, even one or two, from the last event. Um, so, you know, the, the guy stays busier than you might think. And, and I think like focusing only on the women's fights, which again, like if you look at those two, two women that like he's known for coaching, they're not exactly in the prime of their career. They're not exactly the most athletic, uh, whereas the division is kind of rising. They were not truly improving. And maybe that's something that can be attributed to him as a coach. Um, but I, I think overall it's a decent gym. Is it, is it one of the very best? It's, no. a, de- it's a decent gym, but you're talking about Miranda Maverick at Elevation. And, like, yes, yeah, she got beat by Aaron Blanchfield, who is a superior wrestler. Um, and I do think she deserved that win against Macy Barber. So, like, I, I just feel like as, a, as the UFC prospects go, um, I, I feel like those wins over Sabina Mazo and Jillian Robertson um, and a deserved win, in my estimation, against Macy Barber are just uh, a lot more impressive. Yeah, look, look I, I agree with you that Miranda Maverick should win this fight. Her issue is, like, she's brilliant offensively striking. She's brilliant offensively wrestling. She's pretty gut and solid from top position in the grappling element. Zero uh, defense. Yeah. Hang on. I'm yeah. sorry. Miranda Maverick has a win. Miranda Maverick won their original fight, not Shanahan. Oh, well, there you go. Talking about research. So uh, that, that, makes, <laughs> that, makes, that makes more sense to me. But Miranda Maverick, right, like, again, offensively very talented. Defensively? Can get hit pretty easily if you throw strikes at her. Can get taken down pretty easily if you go for a takedown against her and you have some skill, obviously. Can land her back if you're decent, if you have decent top control. Uh, Shana Young just makes really bad MMA IQ mistakes, right? Like you're fighting Stephanie Edgar, and the area in which this judoka has the great shot against anyone is in the clinch. You're going right into the fucking clinch with her, even though you're outstriking her. The fuck are you doing, lady? And beating uh, Gina Mazzani is not exactly impressive stuff, although I see improvements in her. I, I know she has heart, I know she works hard. Um, yeah, I don't love this matchup for her, but again, if Shana Young can start to put things on Miranda Maverick and Miranda Maverick is having a hard time getting takedowns, which is possible, Shana Young could edge her out. So I think the odds are for that reason a little bit too wide, but I do agree with you on the pick. Uh, my next pick is going to be, I'm trying to decide here between a couple of picks. I think I'm going to go ahead and take Amir Albazi to beat Francisco Figueredo. Figueredo is seemingly from what we've seen so far, a fraction of his brother. This event is at elevation, about four and a half thousand uh, feet above elevation. Francisco has trouble keeping a gas tank. Amir Albazi is a really talented guy, really good grappler, pretty serviceable, pretty decent uh, kind of 
developing striking, right? And it's getting there. Um, I like Albazi here. I, I think he's a real prospect in this division. He has got the one loss to uh, to Jose Shorty Torres, who's a pretty solid fighter himself earlier in his career. I expect that uh, Amir Albazi will come through as a as a perennial kind of top twelve at least uh, flyweight after this matchup. Uh, I'm with you on the pick here. For my uh, my next pick, I'm gonna go with. I think that I think that the version of Alexander Romanov that showed up in that last fight against Chase Sherman um, poses a lot of trouble for the version of Marcin Tabura uh, that we that came, that came out to fight Volkov um, late last year, and who you know seemed to take a little while to get warmed up in some of his other fights. Yes, against undersized guys like Maxim Grishin, against fighting neophytes like Walt Harris, um, Tabura, you know, against Greg Hardy, like those two guys, like I liked, I liked a lot of what, uh, Tabura was doing, but I don't think he's going to have an answer for this, for, for the in shape, um, monster that is Romanov. And I think, I think Romanov gets on top, uh, in this fight and is able to pound, uh, Tabura out. I like Tabura. I just don't think the things he can he usually uses to his advantage uh, are going to be effective against Romanov. In fact, I think it it plays into Romanov's strengths um, as Tabura tends to have some success up against the cage, making things uh, messy, taking guys down, smothering. He gets in there into the clinch or you know and up against the cage with Romanov, he's going to get flipped on his head. Um, so I'm going with Alexander Romanov. Yeah, I'm going with Romanov as well. He's, he's again, this is from his UFC debut. I think he was an undervalued, um, like he was a favorite, but a slight favorite over over a couple of those matchups early in his UFC career. And you best believe I took advantage of that. Like Marcos Lajari de Lima, I think it was like way too close. And I, and I dropped some money on that one and, and, and came out on top. Um, really talented guy, dude. Like really explosive, athletic. He can toss guys in their head. Like 265-pound men, he just makes them look like flyweights out there, right? Um we have seen that Juan Espino matchup, though, right, where he had a lot of trouble late in the fight. This this event is at elevation. There's some concern there about that, right, where he's fighting Tarbura, who has made a career out of getting roughed up early, and then as the opponent gets tired, starting to take over. We've seen it against Greg Hardy, Walt Harris. Um, I, I think to some extent Ben Rothwell, it, it was a similar dynamic, right? So um, is there a possibility of it? Yes. Can I rely on it? Not really, because Marcin Tarbura tends to have issues against stronger, more athletic, larger men. Alexander Romanov is all of those things. Alexander Romanov, if you had concerns about his cardio, like some of those prospects get away. Like Khabib got away with that win over Gleason T. Bao, right? As a prospect, he got to make some of the corrections that he that, that of the mistakes that he made in that matchup, and he didn't have to experience a loss, right? That's best case scenario for a prospect. That's what happened with uh, with Alexander Romanov. Did he win those first two rounds against Juan Espino? Yeah, he probably did, but but did he like was the fight going his way and was he looking fresh when he decided to to to, to kind of take the way out of the fight and, and, and get a disqualification win um no it wasn't looking too good for him but he got away with a win and he got he got to address some of those issues that he showed yeah. in that fight which was conditioning he looks way slimmer now he looks like a fraction of his former self and and i mean in the footage leading up to this fight in the week of the fight not only in the footage from his return fight in, in that last matchup which again he just ran over uh you know ran over, uh, ran over a jobber which doesn't really say a whole lot um i do think he's going to have what it takes to to push this i know he's training at tiger muay thai which if i'm i could be mistaken i think is at some level of elevation he looks slim as fuck right so he's he's really been 
focusing on the conditioning. He's really been focusing on the lessons that he learned in that almost loss to Juan Espino. So I like Alexander Romanov. I'm there with you. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold has a lot of skill. And the way that we saw Paulo Costa kind of ran through a little bit by Israel Adesanya, by the slicker, more agile striker with the solid kicks, with the fundamentals, it was partially because of Colo, Paulo Costa's mindset going into that matchup. I don't think it was the right mindset. I, I think that Israel Asani was in his head, deep in his head. I think the strategy they developed for a five round, for his first five round fight was basically to not engage and not to push the fight as he normally does. And that was a mistake against Israel Asani because that was probably his best way of winning the fight. In this matchup, he looks in shape, right? He didn't make weight. He was 20 pounds over Nikolai for a 185 pound matchup. He made uh, Marvin Vittori come up to 205 the week of the matchup, right? And he looked pretty good, and he looked durable, and he did well in the fight. I thought it was fairly competitive, um, just like a matter of just going forward and throwing offense. He's adding snap to his punches, Paul Acosta is, as opposed to just walloping big hooks, which is a good sign for him. He's looking slim as all hell, so makes the idea of him being able to make this weight believable. But Luke Rockhold, man, as slick as he is, as, as good a left kick as he has, as just nasty of a top game as he has, a, as nasty of a, a right check hook from that southpaw stance as he has. His durability is not there. His mindset doesn't seem to be there. I think his confidence, he's a guy that really relied on being extremely confident going into his matchups. And it's hard to picture him being truly confident now, given the way that he was put away in his last couple of matchups. I mean, for Pete's sake, Nick, the man hasn't won a fight. Correct me if I'm wrong, since 2016. Both of these guys, oddly enough, Nick, their last wins was in a title fight. They both got walloped badly and have not won a fight since. So I expect that Paul Costa is the more capable guy of doing that. I think that he has enough power to knock out Luke Rockhold, even though, let's face it, he doesn't have, like, blast-through-you knockout kind of power. I think adding snap to his punches will help as long as he's aggressive enough and confident enough. He should do pretty well in this matchup. His his last win, Nick, was against David Branch in 2017. I mean, that is just not a great sign. That was uh, his matchup right after Michael Bisping. But again, as soon as he got on top of David Branch, man, it was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt legit one. Um, David Branch had nothing. And Paul Acosta could end up on his back. And if he does, Luke Rockhold can dominate and pound him away. I'm just not convinced that Luke Rockhold is going to get there. I don't think his wrestling is good enough. And I think Paul Acosta touches his chin before that happens. Yeah, man, I got to be honest. I am surprised you picked this. And the reason is, I'm like, do you really think this fight has an enormous... I think there's a 30% chance this fight doesn't happen. Oh, interesting. Why do you, why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think I think that is? Because Costa one guy hasn't one because one guy hasn't fought in forever and hasn't mm-hmm. won since David Branch, and the other guy's a, a head case nightmare. <laughs> like this is this is this is the most likely to there to be a draw, there to be a disqualification, there to be a no contest, there to be a problem at the weigh-in. Like I think this, I looked at this this fight, and yes, I don't. I think that Paulo Costa is. Currently has shown that he's more durable. Uh, he hits harder. He, he's got pretty good um, grappling defense. And Rockhold, for as well-rounded as he is, he and Weidman were part of the gener- this brief generation of middleweights that took over uh, after Anderson Silva. But the guys that came up behind them, you know, better, faster, stronger. I, you know, I don't know. Rockhold's a big guy. It's 6'3", but, like... Hasn't looked real good in a long time. And if you remember correctly, he even got he got fucking stung by David Branch in that fight too. And David Branch had some power. He's put some guys out, but he his his chin was way up and he got caught. 
And Paulo Costa throws a lot of offense and does not get tired. How, when very competent, very competent strikers, but people not known for their one-punch knockout power, have completely like blitzed Luke, Luke Rockhold, like you know, not a good chance. But who the hell knows what's going to happen? I just think this is one of those wild card, crazy guy fights. It's like you know, psychologically, it's a thriller fight. Yeah, that's that's um, actually so pretty spot on. You're, you're making some good points. I don't, I don't know about I, a disqualification. Yeah, I wasn't gonna pick it because I'm like, watch me, watch me pick this and watch it not happen, and yeah. I lose something. Yeah, no, so I, I do. I, do I was letting that. it go. I do hear that, Nicola. Let's see how that pans out. I'm, I'm curious. Like, there's a chance that one of those things you touched on might just happen. I don't know the odds of a disqualification or, or a draw. I'm not like super sure about that. A draw would require like would require in all likelihood one of them to dominate a round weird and then shit. the po- other two rounds, right? Well, no, a point deduction. A draw yeah. only requires a point deduction in a 29-28. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's likely to go to decision because if it goes, goes to decision, Luke Rockhold, unless he's really timid, he's got a shot. He's He's got that long-range game. It's entirely possible to land some of those body and head kicks and, and, and does some damage on Paul Acosta. Look, Luke Rockhold is at his best. This matchup looks very different to me, but... Given these dynamics, uh, I do hear what you're saying, though, about the fact that this fight might not just happen. What's your next pick, buddy? I'm By not way, sure. Uh, who, I don't you, know if it, it looks. Who are you picking in this one? Costa. I don't. I don't think if Luke Rockhold's at his best, that it does look that different. His first fight in the UFC was against Vitor Belfort, like a super juiced up pressure striker. Like, I mean, yes, I think Costa's a little more fist forward than Vitor, but. Yeah, Vitor's got fast hands. Like, He's got the wheel kicks. If like Rockhold, Paul if Rockhold can't, stuff. if Rockhold can't keep you at range or out wrestle you, he's going to have problems. And I just, I think Costa is a bad man. I think, I think sane, in shape Costa is a, which I realize is a myth, like sea level kings, <laughs> but sane in shape, sane in shape Costa is a bad matchup for even the best Luke Rockhold. Uh, you, I mean, you, you might be right. But again, we, we've still yet to see who Polo Costa really is. I think his best performance of his career was against Yoel Romero. Um, and, and that's an upset that I called. Uh, I, remember, I remember back then because I thought his numbers would be through the roof and Yoel Romero wouldn't throw shit. And like ever since then, it's all kind of, it's really kind of fallen apart for him one way or one reason or another. So look, I'm, I'm curious how it works out. You're making decent points. Maybe this was too early of a pick for that reason specifically, but I'm curious how it turns out. Nikolai, uh, what's your next pick? I mean, he looked good. He looked very good against, I. you know, and these guys are both unlikable. I kind of like Marvin Vittori, even though he's a goofball. But Costa didn't look bad in that fight. But nope. Vittori is a durable motherfucker. He's a big, thick, durable guy. Those shots that he got hit with, like, Rockhold cannot take those shots. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Could, couldn't agree with you more on that. So, cost is my pick. I just don't know that it gets to the cage or ends in a way that makes sense. Fair enough. What's your pick, bud? Um, oh, I got a pick again? Yep, that's, that's how, how this thing works. That's <laughs> how this works? You, you didn't know how it works. This is why you're 20 points behind. This actually makes so much more sense. You know what, dude? <laughs> you're, such a, you're such a jerk. I've been doing it. this whole thing with a handicap, a psychological handicap. <laughs> I thought it was like an IQ handicap, not so much a psychological one. <laughs> oh, you want to play You want to play that game? I will, take, I, will take, I will go one-on-one Jeopardy with you. I will show up at Mensa HQ. And just I'll be honest with you. When it comes you. to this physical... I'm making uh, the I'm making the Tito Ortiz gravedigger <laughs> simple. You are, your trash talk is about as clever as his two right now. Nikolai, what is your next pick? 
Oh fuck! I gotta. Have a pick. <laughs> You've stalled enough, my friend. <laughs> uh, um, I'm gonna go with with the big Gumby, Sean Woodson, for uh, to take over uh, Louis to beat uh, Louis Saldana. I'm there with you on the pick. I think it's like basically Louis Saldana's kicks versus Woodson's boxing. But Saldana's defense is really bad, and you know he doesn't like. It's almost like he's not trying to defend at all, and. I just feel like Saldana's best chance is to keep it at kicking range, but he's used to being the taller man. He is not the taller man in this matchup. Sean Woodson is a giant. He's beaten and fought higher level of competition. I think Sean Woodson has this one, uh, give or take, in the bag. But again, Saldana has the skills to potentially do well here. I just don't expect him to apply that long-range uh, kicking game without putting himself in range and, and, and making some pretty silly decisions. My next pick is going to be in the matchup. This is where things get a little bit more difficult for me, but I have to take... Uh, Jared Gordon to beat Leonardo Santos. Santos has like the early, like he's so dangerous early that he's got the exact antidote to Jared Gordon, right? In that he can just spark him early. We've seen him get knocked out a couple of times, mind you, by Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts with pretty good stand-up, right? So exactly Leonardo Santos on paper, but this is that elevation. Leonardo Santos as an old man at this point, 40, 42, whatever he is, he doesn't have the cardio to keep going past the five-minute mark. And I don't expect that he will be able to do so here. I think that realistically, Jared Gordon makes it through the first few minutes where there will be some danger. And I, geez, I hope he makes it through there, Nick, because it's concerning that he got submitted in the third round um, against Grant Dawson in the last matchup. Like he did, I didn't expect for him to, like, it wasn't that he was tired. He just got, he, he just got outmaneuvered in that third round. That's concerning. But Leonardo Santos doesn't have what it takes to do that. Not in the third round, certainly in the first. Um, I think that Jared Gordon runs away with it after the after the first round. Might be a little bit shaky. I, I think he really puts it on Santos and finishes him in the second, if not early, third round. I agree with the pick. Now stuff gets really hard. Let's see what we got here. All right, I'm gonna take a I, I'm gonna take a long shot pick. Let's go, Nick. You go. You, you pick in, in the, the main event. Talk to the, me, bro. In the main in the main event, I'm gonna go for a three pointer. Let's go. And this is only because, but I'm gonna go with Edwards. I just I have I do have a feeling that this could be that Leon Edwards in this fight could be the Alexander Gustafson to John Jones, um, except maybe actually win for a couple of reasons. I I think that he's he hits hard. I think Leon Edwards hits as hard as Masvidal or harder. Wait, really, Leon Edwards certainly who's, kick hard. Who's never knocked anyone out. He kicks. He kicks hard. Yeah. Masvidal hasn't knocked. I mean, Masvidal starts a couple people here and there, especially recently. I mean, a, a couple. I mean, Leon Edwards. He's a decision has... motherfucking machine, Nikolai. Mostly. Mostly. I mean, you know, he he can fight um, a low level guy and, and potentially finishing him late. Finish him late. Let me see. As far as knockdowns for Leon Edwards, he's got one against Peter Peter Sabata. Um, and one against Powell Powlak back in, uh, I think, like 2015. And he's got one against Seth Bozinski, which was his, uh, his second UFC I fight. mean, he was, hit, he was hitting, hitting Bilal Muhammad pretty damn hard. I think the path to victory for Usman is clear. But if Leon Edwards can keep this fight on the feet and show up like, very, like really well conditioned with a good gas tank, I think he can outkickbox Usman for for five rounds, and we've seen Usman get get um, stunned by guys who don't have uh, you know that don't have heavy hands. Anyone besides Gilbert Burns? And who else stunned him? Colby Colby Covington. Oh, okay, yeah, he did stun him. I'm just saying, like, eh, 
a Leon like a Leon Edwards knee or a Leon Edwards uh, head kick like is very possible I think in this fight over five rounds I do worry that Usman is is underestimating him I think Usman keeps talking about 205 there's just a lot of signs Edwards seems hungry and he's better than that mistake he made against Nate Diaz um, he's a really good fighter who has not lost many rounds and he's been in there with Usman, so he understands the strength. And for he's a hell of a wrestler for a British guy, yep. or even for any guy, for a guy from any country. And he's and he's a very very good athlete. I think if he can keep if he can keep this on the feet, I think his jab could be trouble. I think uh, I think his kicks could be trouble. Again, we know what's we know what an Usman victory here looks like, but I think Leon Edwards is a is a sleeper. Uh, to really push it. This is his shot. It's his second fight. He's waited for it against Usman. He's waited for it forever. I think this guy's going to show up. I don't think he's going to do a, a kind of a happy to be there Jared Cannonier. I think Leon Edwards is go is going to is really going to show up and is going to like put his life on the line to win this belt. And I don't know if Usman's head is in the game. So, I'll roll the dice. I think maybe you know, maybe this is a maybe this is a tension uh, you know, a um a 1 in 10 long shot, but why not? I've got nothing to lose. I wouldn't say that it's one in ten. I think you're making the right call given where you are as many points behind as you are. Like these are the kind of opportunities you need to take advantage oh, of. Thanks. And, and, thanks. and I'm, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean when I say that, and you should be glad when you have my approval because uh, I'm beating you by twenty points. But um I, I think you're making the right call. This is the right chance to take. You have to also remember, right, the first fight between these two guys, twenty nine twenty eight decision for Uzi. Maybe one judge may have had a 30-27, right? So that first round was competitive. Leon Edwards did okay. He avoided a couple of those takedowns against this almost only wrestler who who um, who Leon Edwards was the better striker than. He was almost exclusively a kickboxer. Usman was almost exclusively a wrestler. Obviously, these guys were working on some other skills, but certainly weren't anywhere near where they are now. You're right. Leon Edwards has been taking motherfuckers down. But that's a part of the issue, isn't it, for Leon Edwards, is that he's been relying on takedowns against his opponents. Most of the times that he wins fights, he gets takedowns. He has four takedowns against Nate Diaz. Why? Why? You're fucking out striking the guy. Why are you getting takedowns? He has three takedowns against Rafael Dos Anjos. Also did pretty well and, and generally has struck him. But if you look at the stats, right, he landed 92 against Dos Anjos. By the way, the most he's ever landed in a goddamn fight was 92 strikes over five rounds. So his output has always been concerning. It's the reason why he's on the boring side, right? 92 strikes against Dos Anjos. He, he took 81 strikes against the much smaller Dos Anjos. He landed 77 strikes against Nate Diaz, took 76 against, again, the much smaller Nate Diaz. Usman is not much smaller than he is. He's shorter, right? Uh, Leon Edwards is going to have the range advantage if this fight stays a range, um, potentially, I should say. But will it, right? Um, he went 2-2 two and two in his first two UFC fights, including that loss to Usman. Nine wins since then. Ten fight unbeaten streak if you factor in that, that uh, Mohamed Bellal uh, uh, fight, right? And... Here's the, here's the interesting thing, and this is what made me think maybe Leon Edwards has a higher chance than I realized, is that a orthodox jab, which is a big, big weapon for Usman, right? We saw it against Burns. Almost as soon as he got rocked by Burns, he went back to his jab, and that jab is what won him that fight. That jab has been consistent for him when he throws it. It is one of the biggest hallmarks of Trevor Whitman and what he added to his game. doesn't usually work against southpaws because of the way that those arms align from their fighting stance. Usually the backhand from the southpaw and, for, and from the orthodox fighter that's more likely to land, right? But... We've seen him adjust his jab and make it work against the southpaw a couple times in Kobe Covington, right? So it's not like he's new to the idea of fighting a southpaw. Granted, in this matchup, a much bigger man. I'm concerned about his knee issues. He will admit 
himself that he, his knees are not where they used to be. Kobe Covington has a similar issues, by the way. All these wrestlers, a lot of these judokas, later in their careers, right, as they get into those mid-30s, knees are becoming an issue. And we haven't seen him shoot a whole lot lately. Granted, maybe it's partially because of the matchups that he's been fighting. If you, if you look at his last couple of opponents, right, Kobe Covington, he did get uh, a takedown against him, but it's risky to be going for takedowns against Covington. He could just get top position. He could just outmaneuver you and get that little bit of a confidence edge. Jorge Masvidal in that, ma- in that last matchup didn't really need to take him down. He took him down once. Didn't really need to take him down. As we saw him uh, knock him out in the, in the second round, Gilbert Burns, he didn't want to take down on paper. Was it because Gilbert Burns has a great ground game or because Kamaru Usman isn't really willing to shoot the way that he used to because those knees are injured? Now, if he did get two takedowns against Gilbert Burns, they were more tossing takedowns rather than actually uh, jumping into top position. So I do have concerns about his knees when it comes to wrestling. Um, the elevation, though, is a factor, right? Kamaru Usman trains at a higher elevation than they will be fighting at. Leon Edwards trains at a lower elevation than they'll be fighting at. Leon Edwards, who, if you look at his record, Nick, over the last several years, he's like, it's it's specifically that third round that se- seems to give him trouble. The third round, the fourth round against Nate Diaz, maybe the fifth round against Nate Diaz, right? Late in a fight is where he's not nearly as effective. Um, if I remember correctly, Gunnar Nelson had some success against him in the third round. Um, Rafael Dos Santos, I think, looked pretty good, good against him late in their fight. Um, Bilal Muhammad, he looked great against early, and you were like convinced that he would beat Bilal Muhammad over five rounds. But we've seen since then, Bilal Muhammad is not a pushover. And just because he's losing a round or two doesn't mean that he's going to lose a fight. Nate Diaz got the jump on him late in the fight. So there's some concerns about his conditioning, especially in this situation at elevation, given the stakes uh, that are here, right? The striking matchup is interesting in that I think it's competitive. The wrestling matchup could be competitive in that Leon could avoid takedowns, right? I don't think Leon's getting any takedowns against Kamaru Usman, but he relies on takedowns to get wins, Leon Edwards does. He got four takedowns against Diaz, I told you, three, uh, three against Los Anjos. He landed two takedowns, takedowns against uh, grappler Gunnar Nelson. Um, takedowns are just a part of his game. Three takedowns against Brian Barbarina. By the way, got outlanded by Barbarina two to one. So there are some concerns about this. I think that Leon has the skills to beat Leon Edwards, uh, to, to beat, excuse me, Kamaru Usman, but it requires Kamaru Usman to be hampered by by having a hard time th- uh, landing his jab, by, by having knee issues, right? Um, his conditioning should be at the top point, but he's 35 years old. At some point, things are going to start slipping. This could be the matchup. I think you're making the right call. I'm going to stick with Kamaru Usman. There's a chance this is going to be a boring fight. I hope that Kamaru Usman is aggressive. I hope he realizes that the right kind of pressure is the key to this fight. He's got to keep him guessing between his jab, between his right hand, between his takedown attempts. Um, if he can keep Leon Edwards guessing at a close range, Leon will have a hard time throwing his uh, kicks up. He's going to need to stay really sharp when it comes to Leon's straight punches. Leon doesn't have a lot of power. Leon might be able to buzz him. I don't like his chance of actually knocking Kamaru Usman out, even though, again, it's, it's a possibility. We just know that Leon Edwards is not a knockout fighter. Um, so with Leon's uh, lower pace, even though he's a taller man, with the fact that he's looked uh, a little bit more hittable and a little bit more rusty in the second half of the fight, although, to be fair, Kamaru Usman also looked a little bit rusty in the second half of the fight against Kobe, um, I think you're making the right call. I think the odds are a little bit too wide. It's disrespectful to Leon Edwards and where his skills are at. But I'm going to stick with Kamaru Usman as, as my pick in this one. I commend you for making the, the right call on the underdog here, though. My next matchup. Have you been, Have you disagreed with any of my ordering yet? Like, am I doing anything different from um, Let me see. Uh, no, I think I think you're about uh, – I think you're getting things about right. I don't know if I would have picked Miranda Maverick as early as you did. I probably would have picked, like, Romanov abo- above – I know Miranda Maverick is a yeah, huge okay. favorite. But Romanov or, or Albazi, I probably uh, – uh, I had them above Miranda Maverick. Um, I, I don't think I don't think you're making bad picks here, um, and w- which to be honest, I have been disagreeing with some of your picks, and I've also been disagreeing with the order of your picks lately. So 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 far, we're largely on the same page. Next matchup for me, 
this is where things get a little bit tougher. I think I think I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pick from the Jose Aldo and Rob Devashvili matchup. Rob Devashvili is relentless, nonstop takedowns, right? He doesn't hold people down, but he can literally go for 15 takedowns in a three-round fight. He has that kind of conditioning, that kind of will. He can come back from getting hurt really badly, which he'll probably need against a guy like Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo has made a career out of fighting these stocky wrestlers who can't really compete with him in the striking realm. I think if this was a three, uh, uh, this being a three-round matchup really favors Jose Aldo. He tends to taper off in the second half of the fight. And Rob Lutherfeely is relentless and has limitless cardio. But three rounds, I think Jose Aldo can do enough in those first couple of rounds. Now, we've seen him get taken down more at bantamweight than ever before, which is interesting. It kind of shows you that either there's a higher level of competition at bantamweight than it is at 145. And to my opinion, by the way, bantamweight, the best division in mixed martial arts. Um, and, and so that could be a signal of that. could be a signal of the fact that Jose Aldo's getting a little bit older and it's starting to show in that way. And it's okay. Like, that's not the worst way to show it, considering the kind of success that he's having against some of the some of the best bantamweights in the world. He's still looking really solid out there. He's still getting in an occasional finish. And losing to Piotr Yan, to me, is not something to be ashamed of. He barely lost to Marlon Marais, although I did think Marais edged him in that decision. Um, and he lost to Alexander Bolganovsky. Pound for pound, best fighter on planet motherfucking Earth. He turned out to be. Not that he necessarily was at that point. And then Max Holloway, part of that, right? The people that he's losing to outside of that Marlon Marais split decision are still the very, very elite. And I'm not convinced that Marab is quite there. Can he go relentlessly for takedowns and possibly wear Jose Aldo out? It is possible. Would I rely on it in this matchup? No, he's hittable. And we saw that against uh, 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 when he fought Marlon Marais, right? Where he got hit badly. He got dropped a couple times. Lost that first round 10-8 and then took over after that because Marlon Marais doesn't have the gas tank, doesn't have the chin, doesn't have the heart to really keep fighting through that, especially if he's trying to finish you. I think Jose Aldo will be a little more patient if he hurts uh, Devash Wheelie. Um, so I'm going to take Jose Aldo here. I, I think there might be some value of plus 120. It's just hard to be confident because Devash Wheelie mentally is so relentless and so strong. Um, I, I like Jose Aldo's chances against the kind of squatty wrestler with a mediocre stand-up game. Yeah, this is a. T I think it's a tough and exciting fight. Um, I go Aldo too, but he hasn't. He hasn't competed against a takedown artist. I mean, you know, he he fought Edgar. He fought, um, you know, fought Edgar twice. He fought Mendez. He hasn't gone up against a, a real takedown artist in a while, and I don't know if he's ever uh, fought the kind of like Russian chain wrestler that Davashvili is. So. I, I was going to hold this one probably till the end, although I would have picked it, I think, before Costa Rockhold, just because, again, I don't know what the... I think that's a... It's a mess of a fight. But I hear you, and I'm excited to watch it. And I hope Aldo wins. Are you officially, um, are like you officially picking Aldo, or, or are you edging the other way? I'm officially, pick, I'm officially picking Aldo, but not with confidence. Yeah, I hear that. I don't blame it. What you got next? Uh, what do we got? How many fights do we have left? Looks like four? we have four fights left. Yeah, three of them. We're going to end up picking one of them will be a, a potential kind of fill-in if if, uh, if you are right about the the Paul Acosta Luke Rockhold matchup. Got it. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Mongolian murderer, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Aroki Lang is as close as I can get. Aroki Lang. Um, uh, to take on uh, to beat Jay Perrin. Any particular reason for that? Um, I uh, Jay Perrin is from Massachusetts, and I don't like Massachusetts. Oh, it's like that, Nikolai. I think we just I think we just lost, <laughs> we just lost six or seven listeners. Uh, yeah, look, Jay Perrin lost to Mario Batista, which is nothing to be ashamed of. He didn't get finished by Mario Batista. 
which is actually kind of commendable. If I remember correctly, he took that fight on short notice. I may be wrong. Um, but prior to that, he lost to Dwight Joseph a couple of fights uh, ago in contender series, right? Is he ready for, for somebody who has legitimate UFC experience against a pretty legitimate competition? I think that Eric Lang might be able to get takedowns here, and that's probably going to be the difference maker. Um, granted, he also gave up like late takedown to Cody Durden, which which slipped away that fight. But Jeff Molina is nothing to be ashamed of losing to, right? So the guys that uh, that uh, that uh, Jeff Molina is awesome. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Molina is pretty. Like I, I'm, I'm genuinely a fan of that kid. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm generally a follower of his career because he's like really impressive and really exciting. Um, I think both of these guys have lost to some pretty serviceable competition, so I'm curious how this matchup uh, uh, plays out. But I, I like Aroki Lang's uh, potential offensive wrestling edge. I think he's going to be the stronger man in this matchup, and that should give him the edge. So I don't disagree with you. Next fight that I'm going to pick from is in the matchup between Daniel Da Silva and Victor Altamirano. Let me ask you a question, Nick. If one sportsbook has one of these guys at plus 150, is that two points or is it required two? Um, I thought we had said three. Three? But, I, I um, thought it was two. But either, one is, either way, one is not enough. That is fine with me. In that case, I'm going to go with Victor Altamirano mostly because... Um, this is at elevation. Daniel De Silva has an issue with conditioning. He has an issue with cardio. And I would imagine that at elevation, that issue is only going to be exacerbated, excuse me, um, all the more. Whereas Alta Murano, you know, went to a close decision with Carlos Hernandez. It was a fairly exciting fight. It was an interesting fight. I don't know that we can glean a whole lot off of that. He also won a split decision um, to another gentleman named Carlos uh, in a contender series prior to that, right? So is he elite? I'm not so sure. But does he have the conditioning to fight hard late in the fight? Unlike the Silva, yes, he does. If you were to give me the Silva at plus 150, I would have taken that two-point rider because he is dangerous and skilled enough early. But I'm going to edge the other way. This is probably one that I'm going to regret. But uh, I'm going to take Victor Altamirano. Cool. Um, I'll hang with you on that pick. And then for my next pick, I'm going to go with um, the Cajun coach, Tim Kreuter's, uh fighter, Ashton Fletcher, um, in his bout against a- Ainge. Ainge Lusa. I believe I believe you say his name. That's good enough for me. Yeah, I mean Fletcher's coming off of a loss to Matt Semmelsberger. Nothing really to be embarrassed about there. And it was a competitive um, loss, a, by the way. Like he put up a decent fight. And he had a really he had a he had a pretty sexy win on the contender series also. Um and Luce is yeah, he had that one fight against Munir Lazez at the UFC after beating, you know, John Howard, who's been around the block. Um, he also lost to Jack Della Maddalena on the contender series, which is nothing to, uh, you know, nothing to, to, uh, feel bad about. Obviously he's emerged as a real contender, but, uh, I don't remember being particularly impressed, uh, in his, his loss against Lizaeus. Do you? Um, it was on short notice. So there's, you know, there's other factors to it. I also think like the kind of game that Lizaeus put on him, I don't think AJ Fletcher will be able to do that. Like Lizaeus does a good job of keeping his range that he's comfortable at. AJ Fletcher is not really going to do. It. He's going to go for takedowns, and Lusa hasn't faced a whole lot of takedown artists in a while. But he he looks like he's capable of defending takedowns against like lower level wrestlers than is Fletcher. So it's interesting. I think standing up is going to favor Lusa, uh, and if Fletcher can get his takedown game going and consistent, he should do okay here. It's a, it's a tricky matchup. It's a hard one to pick. But you're taking Fletcher, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I guess just to be different, I'm, I'm gonna go with Ange Lusa. Um, I, he might be able to defend those takedowns. I think that like. Like losing to Munir Laziz on short notice is not really much to be ashamed of. He did pretty well against John Howard when it comes to re- when it came to wrestling. A guy with his level of experience, he's faced some pretty top level competition. And then losing to Jack Della fucking Madalena by decision, like who makes it to the decision with that man? That man's a fucking monster. He's a serious prospect. So 
I'm gonna I'm gonna give Angelusa a slight edge here over AJ Fletcher. But again, AJ Fletcher had a really competitive fight last time out against Semmelsberger, and a lot of people expected him to get run over. So and we've seen Semmelsberger not not be a really elite elite quality fighter since then. So maybe that's a factor there. So um, disagreeing with you here, and and that should make things a little bit more interesting, Nikolai. My next pick, uh, well, I guess it's not a pick. It's just a, a kind of an opinion on the Wu Yanan versus Lucy Putilova fight. I don't know, man. Wu Yanan has decent, decent, like a decent jab and decent overall stand-up. Not really great overall. Losing the USC record. Lucy Putilova is coming back after having five fights outside of the promotion. I think she went 4-1, if I'm not mistaken, outside of the UFC and, and is now back. Lucy Putilova is just like really aggressive and throws a lot of offense. Sometimes, although she's come away from that, I guess I'll edge her way. This is a low, low level uh, UFC matchup. I'm not like I'm not super interested in it, but I'll edge Pudilova just ever so slightly. Yeah, it's. Uh, we'll see if we have to pick this one. <laughs> who, uh, who, who are you edging toward if you had to make a pick? I think Pudilova, just based on she's been in there with some real beasts. Yes, and uh, you know, and has hung around and came, is back in the UFC after you know losing to the Carmouches and the she got choked out by Antonina. Antonio, uh, Jesus Christ. Antonio Shevchenko. Yeah, it's concerning, right? Antonio Getting submitted Shevchenko. by a striker like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what? She'll probably be super, super energized to be back in the UFC in front of a live crowd. Like maybe first fight of the night potentially, right? The, this matchup, although I'm not, I'm not sure about that part of it. Like I could see her being energized by the crowd and being back and being, being like in the atmosphere back where she feels she belongs. So I, I, I could see that giving her a little bit of a boost. Although you can argue that Wu Yanan is fighting for her job. So maybe she'll be kind of boosted by that. Hard to rely, again, on, on either of these women. This is a low-level MMA fight. Nikolai, that'll do it for this one. Let me quickly run through our picks. My first pick was Tyson Pedro. Second, I took Amir Albazi. My third pick was Paulo Costa over Luke Rockhold. Fourth, I took Jared Gordon. Uh, excuse me, I had, I had myself marked for the main event. Fifth, I took Jose Aldo. And sixth, I took Victor Altamirano. Your first pick was Miranda Maverick. Second, you took Alexander Romanov. Your third pick was Sean Woodson. Fourth, you took Kamara, uh, Leon Edwards as an underdog shot, which I respect. And your fifth pick was Ariki Lang, if I'm saying that correctly. I'm not sure. And then you picked AJ Fletcher. Finally, Nick. Should be interesting. Curious how this pans out. I'm hoping you can you can kind of claw your way closer and, and uh, close the gap a little bit. I think those last couple of picks for either of us could easily go either way. There's a reason we picked them last. I think your order was pretty good today, though. Good job, buddy. Oh, thank, thank you very much. I believe in you. Um, a little train that could we'll make see. a comeback, buddy. You can do this, Nikolai. That and coming up after after this fight, we've got what's uh, looking down the road a bit. Oh, when you started that sentence, you had no idea how you're going to finish that sentence. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, there's some interesting. Fi- I'm, I'm scrolling on topology. UFC Fight Night Paris. Oh, we got Cyril Paris Paris. Oh, Cyril Gane. Oh wow, what a one-two punch for a free fight for a, for a fight night. Cyril Gane tied to Ivasa. Into that, let's go. And then, and then Robert Robert Whitaker, Marvin Vittori. How that's a three-round fight, I don't it's a know. Damn shame and then that's under there, you got the the Russian sniper fighting out of France, Nazardine Imovov. Let's go. Taking on Joaquin Buckley. That is a hell of a fight. Um, you've really, got really stuff, uh, the young studs, Alessio Dechirico against Roman Kapalov. That's interesting. I, I guess. Nazar uh, Hakparov, John McDessie's interesting to me. 
Um, that, that, yeah, that won't be boring. Uh, Ricardo Ramos versus Danny Henry is interesting enough, I would say. Charles Jordan, Nathaniel Wood is really intriguing. That's really exciting. Those guys are. I feel like I feel like Jordan's fighting every month. Right it does. Now, it does kind of feel that way. And then Faraz Yam is is, uh, is competing on this one as well. Benoit Saint Denis, who's an interesting prospect, dude. This card, like outside of the top three fights, I thought he was out of the card, but I might be wrong. I thought Benoit Saint Denis got uh, got. I thought to be like. Cut his thumb cooking food or something, but maybe I'm. Man, wrong. that would have to be a pretty serious cut to, to take him out of the equation. Uh, I, no, he caught. I thought. I thought that he hit a tendon. Oh, I see. It, maybe that, that maybe be, it was someone that, else. That, that can be pretty. Uh, that can be pretty serious. Yeah, look, this card, man, not much worse than the pay per view we have coming up, except for at the top of this pay per view we got bigger names. Uh, we've got a couple of like you know, got like uh, Paul Costa, Luke Rockhold. Obviously, the main event with Usman and Leon Edwards. Uh, pretty pretty big fighters, but outside of that, man, Jose Aldo, Tavashvili, to be fair, is a big fight. Outside of that, dude, like. Easily comparable uh, uh, Paris card for free uh, a couple of weeks from now. Robert Whitaker for free. Cyril Gante Basa for free. Um, Imava versus Buckley. Like like those three and fights. And it'll be a Saturday afternoon. Oh, it's in the afternoon. Yeah. So the card will be over by like six o'clock. You can still go out. You can have a couple drinks. You could you could romance your lady. You could watch uh, DVR episodes of the X Files. Also, I think my wife would be happy if I got rid of the UFC in the afternoon. The problem is in the afternoon our kids are awake. Our daughters are awake. Big line of